morning? I hate to tell you this, but it means you're not young people. <laughs> but it's good to be here, amen? Praise God. And uh, we see this, this must be a graduating class over here. <laughs> They're not young anymore. We all get older, praise the Lord. And uh, I just want to say we, we are going to miss Brother Tom preaching this morning. It was announced he was going to preach. It was announced, but he had to give way to the pitch hitter this morning. Not uh, feeling 100%, that's all I'll say. Probably all I'm allowed to say. And, uh, <laughs> but uh, we appreciate the gifts. You know, I, I was thinking this morning, you never want to lose respect for the gifts that God puts in your midst. And we appreciate these brothers that are, these our elder brothers who are with us and, and the gifts that God has put in their lives. I hope you appreciate that. Don't ever lose your respect. Go ahead.
to descend upon this service this morning. And that you might express yourself in however you would. There's not an internet audience this morning. It's just the local assembly. So we know that everybody within these walls, Lord, that they are listening very attentively to what the Spirit is speaking to the church. And Lord, we just ask that you'll look across this congregation and see every identified need, oh God. See every person. Maybe they have their hands raised. Maybe they have their thoughts raised to you. But they say, oh God, come by my way. And I stand with them this morning. Say, Lord, come by our way this morning. Have your perfect way, we pray, as we commit everything into your hands for your glory, asking your blessing upon the reading and the speaking of the context of your word. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. The book of Ruth, chapter 2, and we'll begin, I think, at verse 4. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said unto the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless thee. Then said Boaz unto his servant that was set over the reapers, whose damsel, whose damsel is this? And the servant that was set over the reapers answered and said, It is the Moabitish. The Moabitish damsel that came back with Naomi out of the country of Moab. And she said, I pray you, let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and hath continued even from the morning until now that she tarried a little in the house. Then said Boaz unto Ruth, Hearest thou not, my daughter? Go not to glean in another field. Neither go from hence, but abide here fast by my lady. Let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap, and go thou after them. Have I not charged the young men that they shall not touch thee? And when thou art thirst, go unto the vessels and drink of that which the young men have drawn. And she fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground and said unto him, Why have I found grace? Thou shouldest take knowledge of me. Seeing I am a stranger. Amen. Lord, have his blessing to your word. You may see Why have I found grace in thy eyes? We can close already having heard the sermon and the song this morning. Why have I found grace? Why me, Lord? We talked about grace and we did last Sunday. And uh, the grace of God is like an inexhaustible fountain. It's like a subject that gives and gives and gives. And we can go at it from many different directions. And I could stand up and preach on it. And then Brother Tom could stand up and preach on it. And Brother John could stand up and preach on it. Brother Murphy could stand up and preach on it. And you get something unique out of every service. Because God's grace goes beyond what our human minds are able to comprehend. 
It's so great, the grace of God. I was thinking recently as I was uh, having a devotion over at the school with some of our young people, which are at camp, so I don't mind repeating myself because they're, most of them, if not all of them, are at camp. And I think, you know, when we, when we come into this world, there is something in a human nature that wants to please somebody, that wants to make them proud of us or happy about us. And, and uh, we often, as we, as our, we are young, I, I was talking with the young people and getting some feedback. And, you know, probably the first people that we ever want to please is our parents. As we're just a little child and we, we, we become a toddler and then we become uh, more, uh, a little bit understanding of the family relationship. And so we want our parents to be proud of us. Even, I think sometimes as parents, we have a, a tough time showing our children how proud we are of them. Can we say amen to that? We, we, and I say, well, not that we don't show it, but, but we're, it's not always an easy thing to express, to tell our young people, our teenagers, our uh, young people that in the midst of the mistakes they make, we're still proud of them. In the, in the midst of, of them trying to figure out who they are, we're still behind them. We're all, we always love them. And our love is inseparable. It's, it's not something that's subject to what they do. Even though sometimes we become displeased with our young people because of their actions. But, that, but they mistake that to say we don't love them anymore, but we always love them. Can you say amen to that? And I, I'm not speaking to young people this morning. I'm speaking to those that are a little bit older, even if you're not married and even if you don't have children and and so, it, as a parent, it becomes a mixture uh, of, I'll say, correction and pride. And, and so, we want to correct them to improve their habits, but at the same time, we don't ever want them to forget that we love them and we're proud of them. And, and, and so, there's an aspect of this that, that they become, that, that is, seems to be human nature as they grow up, they want to... They learn that they not only want to, but they have to please their teachers. And the way that they please their teachers is by giving the right answers, by doing their homework, by reporting back in the things that they've learned in a way that's expected of them. And, and so then it becomes the next stage in life that as they go out to work, that there's bosses that have to be pleased. And I look at these young men that are sitting over here, probably because they're all working. And or they're not able to cross the border. And so they've got bosses to please. They've got work to go to. They want, don't want to be late in the morning. There's a certain aspect of relationship there that they, they seek to please. And, and I can say even there's a, a pressure amongst human beings that we, there's a peer pressure that we want to please others. And we want to make other people happy. And we want to fit in with the group. And we want to be accepted. And we can say that that's generally the course of life. But we've come to a treacherous time in the world that I'll just say the Bible says it would be a treacherous time, calls it calling it perilous times. 
Or the Bible which says that people in this hour would be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Now, you might wonder why I'm going here, because the ultimate person, that, and he is a person, that we want to please is our Heavenly Father. Amen? Amen. We want to come to the end of the road and realize that uh, it's not just about salvation, but we want to be pleasing to God. We want to hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joys of the Lord. We want to, we want to hear something back from God. So we, we realize as believers that it's not just that we're saved. It's not just that we believe in though we, even though we are saved, even though we do believe, even though we are filled with the Holy Ghost. But now we realize that there is consequences to our actions. Because our works is, is, is in response to the grace that God has bestowed upon us. And so it's our efforts, our, our, our works, as we say, that show the faith that lies within us. Even as the Apostle James expressed, show me your faith without your works, I'll show you my faith by my works. And so he was looking at it from the human perspective, but there's an aspect of something that God gives us, because even as the scripture expresses, Jesus himself expressing, he says, the, the, the master went away and gave unto one five talents, and to another two talents, and to another one talent. And so he gave them something with which to work with, so that they might, while the master is away, accomplish something and receive a reward for it. And so when the master came back, the one that had five talents gained another five. The one that had two gained another two. And Jesus said, it is well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joys of the Lord. But the one that had one talent just held on to that, hid it in the ground, and gave it back to the master. says, all that I could do was protect what you gave me. And God says, I don't want you to protect what you gave me. I want you to take what I gave you and increase it. In other words, you have the ability to be a creator. You have the ability to be creative. You have the ability to take what God's given you and give something or add something to it to increase it so that at the end of the road you might hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. So we can say about this servant that had just one talent, we, he didn't really understand the purpose which the father had behind giving him that one talent. Amen. Can we say that? He misunderstood what life was all about. He misunderstood his purpose. He misunderstood the revelation of what God had put into his hands. And I hope that we don't misunderstand the purpose of the message of the hour. Amen. We have to be realizing there's a reason God gives us the message. There's a reason that God put it in my hands. There's a reason God gave me the abilities that God gave me and that God gave you. There's a certain talent. There's a certain individual ability that God gives to each and every one of us that only you can express the word as God gives it to you. All right, I'll come back to that maybe a little bit later. But we've come to this age now where the devil certainly is is doing all that he can do to distract the sons of God, to distract human beings from the real purpose of life. All right? And, and uh, uh, there's 
I was looking at the, sub, at the subject, looking this week at the thought of, of reaction to a, uh, what they call a neurotransmitter. That's the big word that I'll use this morning. Neurotransmitter. It's, it's, and it's called dopamine. Now, when I say dopamine, I hope that's how you say it, I'm not talking about a teenager. Okay? So I want your parents to get that out of your mind. That's not what I mean by dopamine. Okay? Dopamine is a, is a neurotransmitter. It's, a, it's a, something in the brain. It's, it's, I don't even know how to describe it because I'm not a doctor. Maybe if Brother Michael was here, he could, he could give us the definition of it. But uh, science has learned a lot of things. But I'll just say science hasn't made anything new. They've only discovered what God already made. And the devil is not a creator. The devil is a perverter. All right. So, so the devil, by the tree of knowledge, allows human beings to tap into things and misuse things in the way that they were not meant to be used. So science has, has discovered and studied the, the addictive qualities of dopamine, which kind of triggers uh, it, it, it plays a role in pleasure, motivation, and learning of the human mind. All right? So you've maybe heard about these things or read about these things. It's a natural thing. It's a part of how God made these bodies. But the problem becomes when, the, when some demon-motivated individual is inspired to use this knowledge for nefarious purposes. To use it in a way knowing that this aspect of human life is very addictive and if we can trigger it we can create addicts in the world and it's not about drug addicts or smoking addicts but it's addicts to pleasure as the bible says in this day men will become lovers of pleasure more than lovers of god okay so now we're in the midst of a generation that has grown up with this Okay, we, we can't help that. They can't help that. Young people can't help that. Praise the Lord, I can talk about young people and they're not here to hear me. <laughs> it's not even on the internet. <laughs> but you know, they, they're, they're growing up. I've got young people. And then I've got children coming up again. I, what will it be like when my two little ones become teenagers? Think about that, Brother Victor. When your little baby becomes a teenager, what will this world be like? The world that they're growing up in, that, that uh, some of these that some of these uh, medical people and some of these scientific people, they say they have learned or the people have come to a time now where the access to pleasure becomes instant. They can instantly get a a pleasure uh, uh, reaction. You know, let me just explain it a little bit. There's a, They've studied it and they've shown that there's a little something in your brain that triggers when your alert goes off on your cell phone. I don't have a cell phone here, but when you hear that little sound that you've got a message, it triggers a little something in your brain that feels good. And so it's a, it brings a response. In the midst of some of the applications that we use, there's, there's things that are set there for a specific reason. You might think, why does this work like this? It's designed specifically to trigger a reaction in your brain to release this 
dopamine, this, this pleasure sensor, to give you an, a little bit of a sense of pleasure that maybe is not all that perceptible on the conscious realm, but in the subconscious realm, it's very perceptible. And so it creates a reaction in your body that you want more of it. And you want more of it. And so it it's feeds upon itself and it actually turns human beings into addicts or addicted to these devices, these apps, these programs that produce this reaction in the brain. This is going on right now. Uh, you know, they're, 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 when you leave this place, I won't even ask how many have cell phones. It'd be a lot easier to ask how many don't have cell phones. And we might not get a show of hands. And so, but we, as we leave this place, we turn our cell phones on and they go start going ba-ding, 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 whatever uh, notification you have and, and, and all of your messages come in and whatever it is. Then all of a sudden it's like, oh, I got to look at that and I got to respond to that. See, the devil's doing that for a reason. He's creating that this atmosphere that is an, actually something that works in the brain realm that takes a hold of minds that are that people just want more of this instant gratification. Okay, you with me so far? Just a few of you are, okay. The generation we're living, when, living in has grown up with this. You're actually blessed if you know what it was like before this. If you're older like myself and can remember back to the day before cell phones. When you actually had to pick up the phone before answering machines, before all of that kind of stuff where you actually had to do something to find pleasure in something. Back to the days of hobbies, you know, back to when you, you actually tried to learn a trade and, or learn to do something or learn to, to have some kind of action that give you some natural pleasure in life. And they say people are becoming such that they're actually locking themselves into their homes. They don't want to go out in public. And, and there's all kinds of reactions to this. Now, I said all that to say this. That the devil actually uses it to steer people in a direction that's false. Brother Bradham himself talked about it in his day. What he talked about false advertisement. And he talked about how that the... the uh, the dish soap company had put an advertisement somewhere that he saw and, and he, and it said, you know, just put the dish, the soap in the water and just put the dishes in the water and just take the dishes out a few minutes later and they'll be all clean. And Brother Branham's a believer and we're believers and as believers, we're kind of naive. We tend to believe things that are not the truth. And Brother Branham believed things Believe this advertiser. Well, I'll just be the hero in the house. You know, I'll just get the soap. There you go and relax. I'll do the dishes. He filled the sink up with water, put the soap in, put the dishes in, waited a couple minutes, pulled the dishes out. He says they're just as dirty as they were when they went in. Well, I thought that I thought that that's what they said would happen. But what they said would happen was not what happened. And so it becomes an age of lying in advertisement. An age of lying in politics. An age of li where lying becomes acceptable by everybody. And it seems like that everybody thinks that telling a lie is okay. Be careful that doesn't creep into your mind. It's never okay not to tell the truth. 
Brother Branham talks about uh, young people in a, a, in a message here called Discerning the Body of the Lord, 1959. And he says, sometimes I wonder if we intellectual Americans has enough discernment to discern right from wrong. It says, especially the juvenile courts prove we haven't got it to discern right from wrong for our children. This is 1959. We're now uh, 60 years later. And it's, and it's 60 years worse. He says, they seem to have a good psychologist answers. For example, if Junior comes up to his papa and says, stomps his little feet and screams out and shakes his head, says, Dad, I don't care what you say. I want a hot rod. He says, that's typical America. And father says, all right, Junior, I'll buy it for you. You could say to that dad, why did you do it? Oh, I love him. You remember, Dad, Junior is going to grow up to be a man someday. He'll marry and have a family. Then Brother Branham says, God help the wife that lives with a boy that's been brought up to have his way about everything he wants. Can we say amen to that? He says he can't discern right from wrong. He said, Brother Brown says, that's not love. Talking about what the father did. That's not love. That's ignorance. Okay. Then he goes on. He doesn't leave it just with Junior. He says, little Fannie Mae will come up to mother and she's going off, going to go at the rock and roll. And mother tells her she can't do it. But oh, mother, you're cruel to me. Of course, you love Fannie and you let her go. And she'll get out amongst a bunch of hoodlums on all that nonsense. Come in and Pucker up her little painted face, painted lips and tell you a lie that there's no harm in it. God have mercy to the man that'll marry something like that for a wife. Now, Brother Brown says, where's the problem? It's the parents. It's getting quiet in here. There's not enough young people to say amen, I guess. It's the parents. Come on. Let's look at ourselves this morning. And realize we have a huge responsibility in an age that wants to raise our young people with instant gratification. We have a responsibility to stop that. We have a responsibility to identify that that is not the way to go. That, that they don't just get everything they want. Amen. The, the original temptation that was in the Garden of Eden is still alive today. It just manifests itself in different ways. You know, the devil came to Eve and says, Oh, you know, you won't really die because God does know in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes will be opened and you shall be as God's knowing good and evil. In other words, the temptation was, if you'll just partake of this, you'll see things differently than you're seeing them now. In other words, you'll see them different from the way you've been taught. The devil has the same thing today. Even though we teach our children in the right way, the devil will come at them and say, but that's not the only way to look at things. That's not the only way to examine things. We need God to be on the scene for our young people. I'm glad for camps that like what's going on this weekend and the young people and ministers that can get right down to their level and minister to where they're living at that maybe is a little bit different because you've already been through it. You've already fought those battles, but we're holding on for them. 
We're believing for them. We're trusting God for them. We're calling on God for them. Believing that God will see them through. Because it's ten times worse for them than it was for me when I was that age. Amen? It's ten times worse than it was for you at that age. And so we see and identify that these temptations are just as great now that we're living in. But that's not my subject. It just shows you the battle we have in understanding the one, the real question. Why have I found grace in your sight? Which is to say, why do I please you? What, what is it that God saw in me that he found some pleasure? Not the pleasure of this age. Not the pleasure, you know, Paul said it. You know, he says, he talks about his own ministry. And he talks about how, you know, he was a Jew and he was in the law and he had all these accomplishments. But then he says, but when it pleased God, who called me from my mother's womb to reveal himself in me. You see, he's showing us something here that's saying, you know, there was a time, it was in the hands of God, I always was called, I went through all these things in my life, but there came a time that it pleased God to reveal Jesus Christ in me. There was a predestinated seed that was laying there. There was something that was eternal laying on the inside of the inside. I didn't know what it was. It was pushing me. It was driving me. It was drawing me. I thought I could find satisfaction in the law. I thought I could find satisfaction being a Pharisee. I thought I could find satisfaction in my zeal. But they never really answered that. But one day, when it pleased God. Hello? Not when it pleased me. But when it pleased God. To call me, to place me, to reveal himself in me. That's when something changed in my life. Hallelujah. That's really the question that Ruth is asking to Boaz. Why have I found grace in your sight? Why now, after all that I've been through, I've been, I'm not from here, I'm a stranger. I grew up in Moab. I worshipped idols. I had all kinds of things. Then then I became a part of a Jewish family. But my husband died. And my brother-in-law died. And my father-in-law died. And I came back here with Naomi. And now I'm gleaning. And behold, I can see I found grace in your sight. Why have I found grace in your sight? That's the question. You know, the Bible talks about Enoch. Amen. Well, this is really quiet without the people that are at camp. Try to help me out a little bit more, okay? Just pretend you're young again, Brother Milko. All right. Let's go there. Let's pretend we're at camp as young people, all right? Amen. Just, just get ready to just, just say amen when something strikes you. You know, as adults, we always get to where we want to understand it before we say amen. You know, we want to figure it out. We want to know every permutation. But you know, when something strikes you, I'm not talking just say amen to say amen. I wouldn't ever want you to do that. But, but when something strikes you, just say amen. 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 Just, just enter into the service. And the Bible talks about Enoch and says, by, Enoch, by faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death. That's our type. 
Amen. We're the bride of Jesus Christ. And was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. So he's not only our type in the fact that he was translated, but also in the fact that he pleased God. Amen. But without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Amen. Enoch pleased God. Brother Branham says these things about Enoch. He said he had a testimony. He pleased God. That was his testimony. I want that to be my testimony. Sometimes I feel I fall short of that so far. But yet I strive every day, Lord, let my actions, let my thoughts be centered on you that I would please you. He pleased God because he believed God, Brother Branham says. Another place he says, Enoch walked with God 500 years and had a testimony that he pleased God. He was a type of the raptured church. We know that it was 300 years, but, you know, Brother Branham was human. And, and, but he had this testimony as he walked with God for 300 years. He pleased God because God was taking that life and making it a type. Now, remember, when we look at a life and see a type, that's not the real. That's the type. You are the real. Many, many times we say, we want to be like Enoch. No, Enoch was like you. He was the type. You're the anti-type. He was the reflection. You're the original. Hallelujah. So we see ourselves in Enoch. Lord, there's something about me. See, sometimes we, 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 we get this wrong idea about Christianity. We're trying to be something. We're trying to be something. No, you are something. God's just trying to get in you the revelation of who you are, of how he thinks about you, of what his thoughts are towards you. Because if you can walk by faith in what his thoughts are towards you, that is what will materialize in your life. So it's by faith in the word that we lay a hold of these things. And Enoch, by faith, please God. And you, by faith, are the reality of this pleasure that God talked about in Enoch. Pleasing and pleasure is the same thing. Alright? So there was something in God that when he looked at Enoch, oh, he just felt good. I don't think God has dopamine. But if he had dopamine, that gave him a shot every time he thought about Enoch. You with me? That means every time he thinks about you. Because you're the reality. It gives God pleasure. Amen? It excites God. It brings Him into a realm. See, when God had His thoughts, there's a lot more about God that is likened to you. Sometimes we think, oh, pleasure is something that's so unchristian. <laughs> no, it's not. Enoch pleased God. God took pleasure in a life when it pleased God to reveal Himself. I want to come to Ephesians. I think Brother Tom's sitting behind me thinking, yeah, he's going to go to Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to go to Ephesians chapter 1. You're right. You know, all of these things that God wants to show according to the pleasure of His will. He called us. He ordained us. He places us. He works in our life. Not just according to His will, but according to the pleasure of His will. 
See, now I'm not talking this morning about our pleasure. I'm talking about his pleasure. So many times we come to church and we, we just say, well, you'll feel better if you repent or you'll feel better if you get your life right or you'll feel better if you do this or you'll feel better. I'm not talking about you feeling better. I'm talking about God feeling better. I don't know if better is the right word. I'm talking about God's pleasure. Hallelujah. How many want to hear about God's pleasure this morning? How many want to hear about what God gets excited about? Amen. Hallelujah. Brother Branham says, Enoch walked before God, had a testimony that he pleased God with raptured faith, and just started walking right out and went up through the skies and went home without even tasting death, never died at all. Why? Because he pleased God. Now, Enoch was the type, you're the anti-type. You're the one that pleases God. And because you please God, one day God is going to say, you know what? They don't even have to taste death. There's a people living in the last days full of evil, full of corruption, full of compromise, full of unbelief. But yet in that day, they stand for my word. They believe my promises. They believe what I told them. And because they believe that makes me so happy, they don't even have to see death. Hallelujah. I'm just going to take them on up to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Oh Lord, let us please you. Let us walk in that revelation in this hour. In the message, Perfect Faith, he says it's impossible to please God without faith. You cannot please Him. But if you say you believe God, you've never seen Him so then how, so then you've got to believe it by faith. If you could see him, there'd be no more faith. Anything that the senses declare is no more faith. It's scientific. But you have to accept him by faith. Amen. All right. Now I want to just talk about this aspect of Enoch pleasing God. Because if we just walk in ignorance, do I please God? Don't I please God? Maybe I please God. If we just walk in ignorance, then it'll be, maybe we do, maybe we don't. We don't want to end up in that kind of a situation. Amen? But only as God reveals himself to us, can we please him. All right? These are very straight and very, uh, these are statements that I want you to catch. Only as God reveals himself to us can we please him. It does no good. Let me talk about a husband and a wife for a moment. It does no good for one spouse to understand the other spouse is angry without knowing why they're angry. Can you say, okay, don't say amen to that. All right. But... That's the way it is in a relationship. That, oh, I've obviously done something, but if they never tell you what it is that made them upset, angry maybe is too strong, frustrated, what it is that pushed their buttons, then you'll continue making the same, we'll call it a mistake, over and over and over. Right? That's why in a marriage there's got to be Communication. Everybody's heard of that word? Amen. Communication. Husband and wife. 
Because if you don't explain and talk and sit down and visit a subject, you never get to the bottom of things. And then the husband or the wife, whoever it might be, is going to be tripping over the same thing over and over and over. Lo and behold, that button got pushed again. What did I do? Uh, Please explain it to me. Anybody ever been there? All right. I won't look at you. Praise the Lord. But it's the same with God. We don't want to just walk along ignorantly as a Christian hoping we're pleasing him. Well, we hope that, you know, uh, what I did today was pleasing to God. We come at the end of the day, Lord. I, I hope that what I today did today was acceptable to you. I love you. I, I believe you. But I, I, I hope I did okay. We don't want to be there. We want to walk in the wisdom, the knowledge, the understanding of our Lord Jesus Christ, the scripture says. We want to know what it is to serve God. And I have an inclination that Enoch knew what it was. He walked by faith, which is to say you walk by revelation because faith is a revelation. And so as Enoch walked by faith and had this testimony that he pleased God, how many know who Enoch was? Now, Enoch in the, in the Old Testament before the flood had a great uh, expression of his faith in God because he, Enoch wrote the second Bible. How many know that? What was the first Bible? The first Bible was in the stars. The second Bible was the pyramid. Before this Bible was written as it began by Moses, uh, many hundreds of years after the flood. But the second Bible was Enoch. So Enoch, by revelation, didn't just walk with God. He wasn't just a hermit. He wasn't just someone that shut himself into his prayer closet. Although I'm sure he had a prayer closet. He wasn't just somebody that lived off to himself. Enoch was somebody that had a revelation, or I'll say was given talents was given something with which to operate by. He says, now God has revealed this to me. What shall I do with it? And Enoch began a construction project that was so great that it could not be duplicated as far as we know in the day that we're living in. Maybe, maybe we've advanced far enough that it could be. But nevertheless, we don't even, we don't even know that we could duplicate that. But Enoch, it wasn't about the ability to build a big pyramid. Are you listening to me? He was writing a Bible. He was writing the word of God that would endure as long as there was an earth. He was writing something that would stand because he looked in the heavens and he saw the revelation in the heavens. And he says, I'm going to take that revelation and I'm going to build a structure on earth that man cannot destroy. I'm going to build a structure that floods will not destroy. I'm going to build something that it might not be eternal, but it's age lasting. It'll go on forever and ever until we don't know. But it was a very representation of what was in the mind of God. So Enoch had this testimony that he pleased God. So what was the testimony? He received revelation by faith. He walked in that revelation. And that revelation materialized in his life. Are you with me? All right, so it wasn't just that he believed the message. It was rather that he embraced the message and made it his entire purpose of his life. Now, in the midst of this, we know the Bible says he had sons and daughters. So he had a marriage. So he had a family. 
He raised sons and daughters in the midst of all of this. But in the midst of all of this, the, the testimony that endured was the word that his life had written. So you are pleasing to God as long as the revelation that you have received from God becomes the center of your life and materializes around you. Do I please you? That's always what makes God happy is to see His Word materialize. God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that it was good. And God made, separated the waters and from the firmament and, and set up the sun, the moon, the stars, and it was good. And God created the fish in the sea, the fowls in the air. It was good. He created body life. It was good. And then he said, let us make man in our own image. And it was very good. So these are the things that are pleasing to God to see His Word come into manifestation. It's not just believing. Oh, that's why. I'll just say it. That's why denominations can't please God. God's not pleased by theology. God's not pleased that you just learn what the message is about. God's not pleased that you just understand the principles of the Word of God and be able to recite them. That's not it. But God's pleased when it becomes a revelation in your life. Now, let me just make something very, very clear. doesn't matter who you are today. If you go through this life and the center of your purpose isn't to please God, you're making a bad mistake. Let me emphasize that this morning. Don't, don't leave this place this morning. You might not understand everything that is said. That's all right. But don't leave this place this morning without your motivation being, I want my life to be pleasing to God. You might want to please your boss. You might want to please your coach. You might want to please your teacher. You might want to please your parents. You might want to please your peers. You might want to please all those people. But at the center of it all, let your ambition be, I must please God. Will you do that this morning? So I, I may not understand it. I may not understand what that calls upon me personally. But I must please God. If it costs me, my friends, I must please God. If it costs me my job, I must please God. If it costs me my education, if it costs me my position, whatever it costs me, I must please God. There's a word in the Bible for pleasure. Pleasing. This word that Enoch pleased God. In the Greek, it means, it literally means to excite emotion. Think about that in Enoch's case. He pleased God. He made God happy. Oh Lord, may we all find that place. And the, you know, it even talks about natural in the, in the, it's used in the natural sense of the daughter of Herodias dancing for Herod which was not a very moral thing, if I can say it that way. But the, the Bible says it pleased Herod. In other words, it, it excited emotion. 
probably not in a good way, in Herod. And because of the excitement of Herod, he promised her anything. And she consulted with her mother and asked for the head of John the Baptist. And so this emotion went into a very carnal and a very fleshly and a very evil realm. All right, but, but that's the, the type of word that it is. It moves somebody. So I want you to notice then that when, you, when God's word manifests in your life, it isn't just good for you, it moves God. It moves Him in, a, in His innermost being. It's okay if I talk about God like this. I'm not talking about some fleshly thing. I'm talking about the eternal, omnipotent, all-powerful God that is moved when He sees His Word come to pass in your life. For example, when you believe God for your healing, and, it, and your faith reaches out and lays a hold of the work that was done at Calvary. And by His stripes you are healed. That moves God. You might say, oh, I feel so much better. But it moves God. When you see God as your Savior, know that you've been running away from Him. Neglecting His salvation. Neglecting the work at Calvary. But when you come to Him as your Savior and you give your life to God, it's not just a good feeling for you. It moves God. Indeed, the Bible says all of heaven rejoices when one soul comes to their Savior. When you look to God, so when you look to God for the promise of His Word to be fulfilled in your life, it's not just for you, it's for Him. He deposited faith in you to believe for the promise. With the promise, as I said last week, comes grace. But in the midst of all that, it, that grace is, expect, is expressing it's the pleasure of God to fulfill His Word in your life. Hallelujah. The Bible also talks about, it says in Romans chapter 15, you can read it later, verse 1 to 3, it says, When we then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. That's a good one for this age. Not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. For even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. Amen. Jesus uses the words... That word, even maybe we'll say a little bit stronger form of the same word. As it particularly means to do something. In John chapter 8 and verse 29, again I'll just read it. He says, he that sent me, Jesus speaking, he that sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always, I do always those things that please him. Amen. So Jesus is expressing now, he never leaves me alone. Listen, why, why do you hang around somebody? Ken, why do you hang around Tom? I don't mean that facetiously. I mean, why? you've had all these years of relationship, you and brother Ken, from your teenage years. I think that's when it started. Okay, Why? There's something about each other that makes the other happy. Right? You got to confess that. You say, you know what? When I get around Tom or when I get around Ken, you know, there's something about it that I get some joy out of it. 
So I ha- that's why I like to hang around them. Now, now, if they were always at odds with one another and always clashing and that sort of thing, then, then they wouldn't hang out together, right? That's, that's common sense. Jesus said, the Father is always with me because I do those things that please Him. I do things that make Him happy. I do things that fulfill His Word. Jesus walked by perfect faith in what the Word said He was. That's what He did. He always looked for the God in the situation. He he was not faithless, but He was full of faith, believing no matter what situation it was in. doesn't matter if He was at a funeral. doesn't matter if He was at a wedding. doesn't matter if He was at a feast. doesn't matter where He was. Whatever situation He found us in, He always says, whatever I'm doing here, I want to be pleasing to the Father. I want to be an expression of the Word. I don't care what Simon the Pharisee thinks. Amen. I don't care what they think of the wedding. I really don't care what they think of the funeral when I tell them, look at, look at the damsel is not dead but sleeps. And the Bible says they all laughed him to score. That Jesus didn't care. I'm not here to please you. Hello? I'm not here to please you. I'm here to please my Father. Amen. When Jesus walked, uh, walked amongst the Pharisees and, and as he started preaching, and sometimes the preaching was hard and it rebuked the Pharisees and it was not easy for them to swallow. And the disciples even told them, do you know the Pharisees were offended at what you had to say? Jesus as much as says, I really don't care. I'm not here to please them. I'm here to please the Father. I always do that which pleases the Father. That's why, excuse me for saying it this way, the Father likes to hang around me. And the Father wants to hang around you. That's why He's brought His Word by your way. Hallelujah. We're building here. 1 John chapter 3 says, Whatsoever we ask, we receive of Him, because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. Let me read that again. Whatsoever we ask, we receive of Him because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. Not pleasing to this world. I don't want to please this world. Because if I please this world, I know I will not please God. I'm not interested. Oh, praise the Lord. We're not even on the internet today. I can say just about anything. I'm not interested in the political correctness of this age. I'm not interested in accepting somebody based on how they want to identify. We have one identification and it's right here. This is the one true identification. If it doesn't fit here, it's not a true identification. Amen. It's not a matter of, oh, you'll hurt somebody's feelings. I don't care. I don't try to hurt feelings, but I don't care if the word of God, when it's spoken, hurts feelings. Those feelings then need to be hurt. Oh. oh, that's not easy for this soft generation to take, is it? But that's the truth. I do those things that are pleasing to Him. Hallelujah. 
So the impact for us as believers is that our faith expressed as Noah's faith was and others in Hebrews chapter 11 excites the emotions of God. That's hard for you to take. I can feel it. God's not emotional, really? Does God get angry? Sure. I wouldn't necessarily call it emotion on our level. But God has anger. God has love. God has grace. God gets grieved. All of these things. God is not some unemotional, unfeeling body out there that is unmoved. God is moved. And you can move God. As a matter of fact, I'll say you're ordained to move God. God has called you to that unique and elect position in the hour that we're living in. We could talk about Esther and her position. How that she never understood that her position as a wife was different than a position of a concubine. How it had certain rights pertaining to it that had access to the king. The very fact that the king had chosen her as queen gave her rights that nobody else had. Even as she approached unto the king in fear, knowing the law said whoever approaches the king without being invited is subject to death. It was a law that was put into place to hopefully guard against assassinations. That nobody can come to the king unless they're invited. And so here Esther, knowing that law, which had been ingrained in all of the people's mind, obviously, but now she comes to the king, and as she is before the king, and he asks her, he says, why are you fearful? She says, it's because that the law says no one can come unless they're invited. And the king says, well, that law applies to everybody except you. Amen. You can come anytime. Because you have a special place. In other words, the very fact that I've chosen you to be my wife imparts to you special privileges. Hallelujah. Nobody else has them, but you have them. It's written in the Bible because it's a type of the age that we're living in. And when this age, the the elect of God in this age changed from church to bride, it's an indication that God is saying, I'm revealing to you things. Here's the opening of the word. I'm revealing to you things that I will not reveal to anyone else because these are privileges that belong only to my bride. Hallelujah. It's God changing from father to bridegroom. It's God bringing into an expression as Boaz was, Lord of the harvest. As he's over the servants and over everybody. But now he looks at a woman. And he sees her in the field. Oh, brother and sister. Listen, something gets excited in Boaz. Listen, I'm not talking about some carnal thing. I'm talking about some deep thing. Something gets excited. A man's ambition to be a father. A man's ambition to be a a husband. A man's ambition to fulfill his life with a family. A man's ambition to bring an heir into the home. A man's ambition to pass on his own goods to his family. Now comes into view. Hallelujah. He gets excited. He's no longer just a man. He's no longer just a master. He's no longer just a boss. But a bridegroom begins to arise. 
Hallelujah. A bridegroom becomes present. A part of his expression, he never showed anybody else. That's why Esther didn't understand her position. Because number one, nobody told her. But number two, nobody had ever been bride before. Except for Vashti, and she was put away. And Vashti wasn't exactly going to train Esther. Because she didn't have what it take herself to be bride. But now Esther was called to a position to have more authority than anybody else in the kingdom except her husband. Oh, saints. God has arisen on the scene in this hour. The revelation of this message is not just doctrine and teaching. It's an expression of the passion of God. I'm moving from my fatherhood. I'm moving to be a bridegroom. He's calling for his bride to fulfill her purpose. It's the passion of God. It's the very reason he had a purpose. The whole redemptive purpose rests in this. The whole of it all rests in this. Oh, we go back to the garden and Adam and Eve and how God took man out of, woman out of the man. But Brother Bradham begins to express it in a couple of places. Rising of the sun. Another place also comes to mind. I can't think of the title right now. But he says, like God took Eve out of Adam. He says, Jesus went to Calvary. He says, the bride had not been taken out of the bridegroom yet. Hallelujah. The feminine had not been taken out of the entire body. I can't say taken out of the masculine. He was both, God was both masculine and feminine. Adam was just both masculine and feminine, made in the image of God. But then God saw it was not good for men to be alone. Well, then why did God make him that way? Because it was in his own image. And so God put Adam to sleep and took the feminine part out. Took the feminine spirit out. Hallelujah. Sometimes, not all the time. Sometimes that's why, I'll just drop this in. That's why a father can comfort a daughter easier as a baby than comforting a son. There's a natural connection between a masculine and a feminine spirit. It's the same the other way around, a mother to a son. You see, there's something natural. Now, I'm not talking about anything that's unnormal here. I'm just saying God took the masculine and the feminine apart to make an attraction between the two. Because they originally were one. And for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave only to his wife. And these two shall be one flesh. Brother Brown, one place says one flesh, one spirit, one soul even. Oh my goodness, what is it? It's God showing something. It's a type. It's a type. You're the reality. God's showing something in the last days. He'll take the feminist part of himself out at Calvary. He'll break the blood vessel. He'll separate the spirit. Not all of himself, but he'll retain the masculine part. But there'll be a feminine part. Hallelujah. There'll be a feminine part. And she will come to her position recognizing who she is. And there'll be a supernatural attraction. As the bridegroom reveals himself, the bride will respond. 
Listen, this is not human understanding. This is the eternal supernatural power and plan of the redemptive purpose of God all the way from the Garden of Eden down through the ages foreshadowed, as Brother Branham said in Christ the mystery of God revealed in every type and shadow throughout the Scriptures. Hallelujah. I can't talk as fast as I'm thinking. That's my problem. All of these things tied from beginning to end in one purpose. That the bridegroom would step forth. Hallelujah. And show his, reveal his passion. Hallelujah. It's all, you see the plan of redemption is actually all about God. It's not about you. Although you're a part of it. It's his thoughts. It's his revelation. It's his mercy. It's his grace. It's his foreknowledge. It's his predestination. It's his election. It's his passion. It's him expressing himself. It was still Jesus. Brother Biscoe mentioned something in the office. Maybe he's going to preach on it. I said, preach on it this morning. <laughs> Take your time. He's just talking about no matter what, it was still Jesus. It's still God. Even even when can we go, do we have time to go through every scripture in the Bible? We could go back to Judah and Tamar, even when it looked like improper and and you know something wasn't right here and it wasn't really fitting, but it was God reflecting a redemptive purpose. As we go down through the Bible and we see a, a Ruth and we see a David, we even see a Bathsheba and. and, and and that whole situation that came about in a wrong way, but yet in the midst of it being in a wrong way, it, there was still God in it there. Hallelujah. Oh, everything. God revealing himself that in the last days it would reflect his passion. All right. Are you with me now so far? I'll maybe try and go 15, 20 more minutes and then we'll close. Is this all right? Now we're really somewhere that we can start to preach. We're really somewhere we can start to... Because we've got to get up on this plane. Because why do you think God gives us the Holy Spirit? Because God wants you to love Him on the level that He loves you. God's not looking for human love. See, Adam reflected in the Garden of Eden. Adam reflected in the Garden of Eden. All the animals... God brought all the animals to Adam. And, and Adam named them all. Is that right? Yeah. All right. So he met the elephant, the lion, the cheetah, the monkey, the different ones, even the serpent. Adam named the serpent. All of those creatures, Adam named them all. But yet, and I'm sure that they were affectionate. After all, in the Garden of Eden was perfect love. I'm sure... That when we get on the other side and you pet the lion, it's going to purr. Praise the Lord. It's not like a lion is now, which would eat your arm if you petted him now. On the other side, he's going to purr. All right. On the other side of the tribulation time, all of these things are going to come into position. That's the way it was in the Garden of Eden. The, the lion purred and the, and the monkey maybe cooed and the serpent the female serpent talked 
All of these things had affection. But there was no helpmate found for Adam. Because it was a reflection of God. God's not interested in the affection of animal life. God is interested in God life. So there's got to be a people that are ordained to God life. That they'll receive the Holy Spirit, which is divine love, which will bring them to a level of loving God the way that God loves them. He'll take the feminist part out at Calvary, send it back upon the church to create a love relationship between God and His church that cannot be known on a human level. That's why human religion cannot understand it. It's not that kind of a love, but God showing this woman that she has found grace in His sight. The Holy Spirit broken apart. It's not just God condescending to our level, but by filling us with His Spirit in the feminine form, bringing us up to His level of love. Oh, is that too deep for you? That's not too deep for us. That's not too deep for anybody. He's just saying, why does God give us the Holy Spirit? To lift us up to His level. To seat us in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. To bring us into the realm of where He can pour in His revelation. Not give us man-made understanding of do's and don'ts of laws. And if you do this, I'll do that. And don't do this and those kind of things. That's we're, we're way beyond that. By the Holy Spirit lifting us up in a level where the world grieves us like it grieves God. Hello? The world grieves us like it grieves God. Amen. Now, I'm not talking about your flesh. Because your flesh isn't at that level yet. One day it will be. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, we shall be changed. Won't that be wonderful? Till even our flesh won't like this world. Hallelujah. We're looking forward to that day. Because that's how we make mistakes is that our flesh gets drawn to the pleasures of the world. But the flesh has to be brought subject to the spirit that dwells within us. Paul says, I die daily. We must lay down this flesh desire every day. Hello. You didn't lose your flesh desire when you were born again. Your body was not changed. But one day our body will be changed and we'll lose the flesh desire. And that's why we have a battle and our greatest enemy is not somebody out there. Our greatest enemy is not the devil. Our greatest enemy is ourselves. Amen, amen, and amen. I hope this is all right. Let me read it to you the way Brother Branham said it. Is that all right? All right. I said rising of the sun. God had never separated the bride from the groom yet, so when God looked down upon the body of Christ, He saw both male and female. Are you ready for this? He said... It was all redeemed in that one body. Oh my. You were in Him there. You are part of that one Spirit. You are baptized now into one body by that one Spirit. But you were a part of Him then by representation. And He paid the price then. You paid the price with Him because you were in Him. Hallelujah. Seat shall not be heir with the shuck. It says, man was created in God's image. God is a spirit, so he's a spirit man. And then when he become flesh, animal flesh on the earth, he's showing, portraying here, 
the bride. He never taken and made another being, but he took part of Adam, the original creation, took from him a rib from his side and took the feminine spirit out of Adam, left the masculine spirit in there and placed it in the feminine part. Therefore, part of his spirit, part of his body, flesh of his flesh, bone of his bone, word of his word, life of his life, that's the way the bride is to Christ. Hallelujah. What you see in Adam is what you are to Christ. Amen. God expressing his attributes. I said 20 minutes, right? All right. Hallelujah. Are you still with me? All right. This is just good. This is just... Ah, this is just like a cow ruminating. Chewing the cud, you know. Chew it over and over. This is just good food. You know, that's the problem with good food. You have to swallow it. <laughs> you know, and then you don't taste it no more. Sometimes it's just good to, to chew it and chew it and chew it. Amen, Brother Milko. Good food is worthy to be had. And, you know, we all enjoy that. This is good food. This is just good. Think about who we are. Think about how that it's God doing it. Think about how that it's grace. Think about why we have found grace in his sight. Smyrnian church age, I referred to it last week. He says, now it says that he has chosen us in him, Jesus, before the foundation of the world. That means that we were right there with him in the mind and thoughts of God before the foundation of the world. That gives an eternal quality to the elect. You can't get away from that. He says, now then, and I'm reading out of the church age book in case you're wondering. Now then, here we are coming to a conclusion. As the eternal Logos, God, was manifest in the Son. And in Jesus dwelt all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Notice that statement. That ought to trigger something in your mind. Because the book of Colossians says, it pleased him. That in him should all the fullness dwell. It was pleasing to God. He says, and in Jesus dwelt all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And that eternal one was the Father manifested in flesh. And thereby gained the title of Son. And then I love this next phrase. Even so we. Eternal in his thoughts in our turn, became the many-membered spoken word seed manifest in flesh. And those eternal thoughts now manifest in flesh are the sons of God, even as we are so called. We did not become seed by the rebirth. In the church age book, this is actually in capitals. We did not become seed by the rebirth. We were seed. And therefore were reborn. For only the elect can be reborn. Why have I found grace in your sight? Because we were seed is the reason we could be quickened. In non-seed there is nothing to quicken. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Because you were seed. 
His desire was towards you. Because you were seed, you found grace in His sight. Because you were seed, when God sees you in His mind, in His thoughts, always there, eternal, He sees you in grace, He sees you in love, and both are eternal attributes because they are in God. Hallelujah. Just the same as I already said about Boaz, as he was looking on Ruth, he saw that which was in his mind. It was not just a pretty girl. Come on, saints. It was not just a pretty girl. I'm sure there were plenty of pretty girls in Israel. I'm sure there were plenty who would gladly marry Boaz. But there was something about Ruth that had a characteristic that the thoughts that maybe Boaz had pushed to the back part of his mind now began to become expressed. Hallelujah. Expressed in his actions. And, and Ruth, you know, she never really quite caught it until Naomi the Old Testament types, Naomi began to express to Ruth as Ruth began to describe to her Boaz's attitude towards her. Oh, why has he done this for me? And why has he done that for me? Why did God save you? Why did God heal you? Why did God reveal his word to you? Why did God come by your way? Why did God bring you into this message? Why did God do all these things for Why did God give you a good pastor? Why did God give you all this? Come on. Why did God give you a camp? You say, well, it's not Brother Bisco gave you a camp. Why did God give you a camp? Why did God give you a school over here? Why did God bless you with all of these things? Why did God bless you with so many musicians? Why, 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 why? I'll tell you why Naomi said, she, she says to Ruth, sit down and listen. Because you need to understand what's going on here because you don't see it. What she said, she says, you need to go in and take an approach unto Boaz. You need to go lay down at his feet. You need to go make yourself totally vulnerable to him. And say, Boaz, whatever you want to do with my life, I'm yours. That's as much as what she was saying. As she went and laid at his feet, and he woke up and he says, who's there? He says, it's Ruth, your handmaiden. You're a near kinsman. Spread the border of your garment over me. These are language terms that we don't necessarily understand. But what she's saying is, I'm yours. You're a near kinsman. You have right to redemption. You're the only one that can take me where I want to go. Because there's something in me that's crying for an expression. But praise God, there was something in Boaz also. And there's something in the holy almighty God that's crying for an expression. And you are she. You're the one he's expressing himself to. That's why he's chasing these other ones away. Get away. Get away from this precious message. Get away from these truths. Get away. This isn't for you. This is for my bride. Hallelujah. This is for those that love me. This is for those that want to be the expression of my word. They were always in my mind before the foundation of the world. And as Jesus was the thought expression, she also is the thought expression. Hallelujah. As Jesus was the culmination of the prophecies. Remember I said last week, prophecies is not predictions. Prophecies is the thoughts of God expressed by a prophet not yet materialized. But would have to materialize in its season. As Jesus was the prophecy fulfilled in his season. 
so also are you. The prophecy, the thoughts of God expressed by a prophet fulfilled in your season. You are the one. So, oh, Brother Tim, you preach that it like it's for everybody. We always preach it like it's for everybody. But those that are elect are going to catch it. Solomon says it this way. From the perspective of the woman. This is the revelation you need to come to in Song of Solomon. Says, she says, the woman says, I am my beloved's. And his desire is towards me. Come on, saints. This is where you need to go. This is the recognition you need to have. This woman that's written in this book of Psalms, she's a type. You're the real. You need to come to that revelation in your own thoughts. I am his. And his desire is towards me. I don't know who else he's calling. I don't know who else he's going to make it. But I know he's spoken to me. Therefore, I know his desire, his passion to be a bridegroom is expressed towards me. Hallelujah. You know, that word desire is a very powerful word. It only appears three times in the Bible. It speaks of a woman's desire towards her husband. In the book of Genesis, your desire will be towards your husband. Number two, it speaks about Cain and Abel, where Cain is told, if you do right, Abel will have a desire to follow you. All right, so it'll be something. If you have the right actions, Abel will follow. And there, in the book of Song of Solomon, it's spoken of a husband's love towards his wife. Now catch that. A woman's desire to follow her husband... Abel's desire to follow Cain if he did right. But now God's desire towards you is equally as powerful. The Holy Spirit doesn't follow the church. We know it's the reverse. But this passion that lays in God is so powerful that he has a desire for you. And he cannot go anywhere else that's that's why brother Bradham says why do you hunger church why do you thirst i think that's christ and mystery god revealed isn't it he says it's god trying to get the revelation of these mysteries into you he says but you let your church you let your minister you let your family you let this one you let that one take it all out of you if you could just realize that pleasing god needs to be the center of your universe Because his desire is towards you. He wants to fill you with that revelation. He wants to fill you with his spirit more than you ever know. One place he talks about the pipeline. He says if you stretch the pipe up so far. He says and and the pressure of filling that pipe with water on a few inches at the bottom. He says is the the pressure of God wanting to fill you with his spirit is greater than that kind of a pressure. It's God wanting to get it to you. Well, how does God fill us with His Spirit? He recognizes your faith. Because the the baptism of the Spirit was typed by circumcision. And circumcision was given as a confirmation of Abraham's faith. And the baptism of the Holy Ghost is given as a confirmation of your faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. 
God wants to fill you with himself so that he can enter into that true love relationship the way he cannot with anybody else. It's not the love of a father to the child. Even though sometimes he acts, he, he, he fulfills that role. But it's the love of, of a husband to a wife, a bridegroom to a bride. Hallelujah. I'm coming to a close here. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. So ought men ought to love their wives as their own bodies, and he that, he that loveth his wife loveth himself. But this is a great mystery, Paul says. I speak concerning Christ and the church. John 15, Jesus says, As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love. Even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. There's a relationship here. That God is not expressing something to anybody else but to his bride. It's hard for me to say it this way because sometimes I feel like we get too carnal about passion. But this passion that is in God is so... I don't have a word to say it. It's so beyond description. It's so powerful that it's the very central purpose of His redemptive purpose. He's got Israel that he's redeeming, but they're not bride. They're servants. He's got angels in heaven, but they're not bride. They're also servants of another type, ministering spirits. He's got those that that will make it in the white throne judgment, given eternal life because of the water that maybe they give a cup of water to the elect or they visited somebody in prison or they encouraged somebody or did something good for somebody not realizing they're the elect of God. And Jesus says, in so much that you've done it unto the least of one of these, you've done it unto me. And they'll be given eternal life, but they're not bride. But there is a people. There is a people who says, I will reveal the very back part of my mind. The very thing that was laying in the back part of my thoughts all the way from Adam to Enoch to Noah to Abraham to Moses to David to Solomon. Oh, we could go back to Samuel and go on to Jeremiah and go on to Ezekiel and his expression of it and go on into Malachi, go on through Paul and his expression in Ephesians 5 saying it's still a mystery. It's a mystery. And go on down through the ages as every, every prophet and every sage of God desired to look into these things that you and I are looking in. But the promise is in the days of the voice of the seventh angel. When he shall begin to sound. Brother Bradham says the anointed ones at the end time when he brings forth his message. When he begins to declare what the third pull, what is the attraction on the mount? The prophecy is no longer prophecy. It's now history. Amen. These things that have been revealed, the thoughts of God. He says, now the very reason I've done all these things is that I can be a bridegroom. 
Hallelujah. I can have a bride. I can have a love relationship. She's flesh of my flesh. She's bone of my bone. She's life of my life. She's spirit of my spirit. She is him. Hallelujah. We say it so many times. And I don't mean to say it lightly. But it's God expressing, she's me. I broke my spirit apart at Calvary. That it might come into her. That in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, she could come to the knowledge of my passion. She could come to the knowledge of why she has found grace in my sight. Did Ruth have baggage? Oh yeah. We could say Ruth had baggage. She could look back and she could say a lot of things about her own life. You know what? I'm just not worthy. I come to Israel. I'm really only worthy to glean. Hello? You ever felt that way? I'm really only worthy to glean. Just give me a little something. But that was not her place as musicians come. And that's not your place either. God brought you to this message not because you're a gleaner. But because you're the one that has brought the back part thoughts of his mind to the forefront. Hallelujah. The hidden mysteries down through the ages now become on display. And he's excited by a bride that is called to come to perfect faith as he walked in perfect faith. As Jesus walked in perfect faith by what the Word said He was. You walk in perfect faith of what the Word says you are. Say, well, Brother Tim, I don't know if I'm there. If you're not, you will be. Because you're His. And He's the one that's bringing you there. It's by His grace. What did Boaz say to Ruth? He didn't say, "Look, listen, if you'll do this and this and this and this and... And behave yourself and, and do all these kind of things. I want you to prove yourself this way. And I want you to prove yourself that. that. That had nothing to do with it. He was just trying to show her your mind. You see, it took Naomi to tell Ruth what Boaz was doing. Yeah. Ruth might have thought, okay, uh, I better not. I better behave myself and I better do this and I better do that. She was looking at it from the wrong perspective. But it was really, the reality was, she excited something in Boaz as no woman had ever done. And I'll say to you, if you can receive it, you have excited something in God that no church has ever done. Hallelujah! Think of that! Say, oh, Brother Tim, I'm a nobody. I'm not worthy. Forget about it. I, 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 I'm just a gleaner. I, I'm just, you don't know what my past is like. You don't know the mistakes I've made. Forget about it. That's why you have found grace in his sight. He slipped on the wedding band of predestinated, unmerited grace. When? When you came to the altar? No. Before the foundation of the world. You were in his thoughts there. And you're in his thoughts today. I want to sing that old song at Calvary. Let's stand together. Amen. There's something about Calvary that I just want to rejoice in this morning. There, the spirit was divided. There was the first reflection of bridegroom hunting for his bride. He began to send his spirit back on the church. 
to bring her into bride form. And here we are today. All my years I spent in vanity and pride, caring not my Lord was crucified, knowing not it was for me he died at Calvary. But now I know. Hallelujah. Are you the bride? I want you to confess that this morning. Are you the right? Don't look at yourself. Don't look at your actions. Don't look at your problems. Don't even look at maybe if the devil's got you bound this morning, you just start confessing, I'm the bride. Listen. We go on forever. <laughs> Listen, look at Esther. Haman thought he had the upper hand. He thought he had the Jews. He thought he had it all figured out. Haman represented the devil. But he didn't realize how much passion the king had for Esther. Hallelujah. That destroyed the devil's plans. Listen, the devil's got plans for you. Does that surprise you? The devil's got plans for you, but he doesn't reckon the passion that God has for you. Glory. Hallelujah. Amen. Years I spent in vanity and pride. fourth verse up there for me again. What drew salvation's plan was love. What brought it to you? It was grace. There was a great gulf, but God spanned that gulf that you and I might manifest. I'll say it again. The passionate thoughts of God. It's you he's talking about. I can't hardly believe that about myself. Ruth couldn't either. Esther couldn't either. Bathsheba, Tamar, take any of the women of grace in the Bible. None of them counted themselves worthy. But God chose them. They were a type of who you actually are. The mighty works of the mighty God. Let's bow our heads together. Maybe there's one soul in here tonight that would say, Lord, I want to accept this grace. Something's burning in my heart. It says, Lord, let this grace be expressed to me. If you're unsaved this morning, why don't you just repent of it and say, Lord Jesus, I accept you as my Savior. If you're being hounded by the devil, why don't you just confess this morning, Oh God, something this morning in your word spoke to me. I'm weak. I'm feeble, but I claim that you're my deliverer. If you're sick this morning, why don't you claim him as your healer? Well, these are the thoughts of God. These are the attributes that God had in his mind before the foundation of the world. And you're the expression of them. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we stand in your presence this morning, we just want to sing. I wish I was a singer. I wish I could lift my voice to the heavens declaring the greatness of your grace and your love is expressed towards your church your people your bride that we might be called bride 
Lord, it took a prophet standing in this hour. I don't believe it was his thoughts, Lord. I believe it was your thoughts. That could say, I don't call you church anymore. I call you bride. Lord, you were trying to get something to us. And every day, Lord, every service, every scripture we read, every, every time we get into the message, it becomes more and more real to us, O oh God. Lord, we thank you for that. Lord, if there's to be somebody here that doesn't know you as their Savior, they're accepting you right now. They're repentant of their sins, oh God. They're saying, oh Jesus, be my Savior. Be my Lord. Be my Master. Lord, the sick are saying, be my healer. Lord, the bound are saying, be my deliverer. Lord, express your attributes amongst your people this, this morning, oh God. As we're gathered together in your holy name, you are the holy one. You are the mighty one. And may your power go out amongst this room even today and loose everyone that the devil is trying to hold in captivity, Lord. Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, may the powers of Satan be broken. Lord, I pray even for the camp service going on right now. Lord, may you just bring it to a climax for those young people, Lord. May you anoint Brother Andrew as he ministers your word. Give him a fresh portion. He's no doubt tired at the end of the meetings, but Lord, even now pour in virtue, O oh God. Even now bring life to that gathering, we pray. O oh Lord, life to those souls. You are the giver of life. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this time we could have together. This morning, Lord, around your word, I pray that something said would anchor your children in their place in Jesus Christ. Oh, Savior, if love becomes the center of our motivation, it'll have to create an atmosphere around about us and bring other souls, other lives to be better in that atmosphere. Lord, we love you. We commit ourselves to you. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's just sing that old song, Amazing Grace Shall Always Be My Song of Praise. Before we go, is that your song of praise this morning? It's His grace. Amen. Peace shall always be my song of praise.